early as the 1850s, the Tored coal mine was supplying the country with coal that was shipped across the nation. But by the 70s, the mine was officially closed as it underwent major renovations. But now, you can head inside and explore the deep, dark caverns of the old mine yourself. Since reopening, the mine's taken over one million guests underground. Before the tour begins, guests get a lesson regarding the ins and outs of everyday life as a coal miner during that time period, and you'll get a hands-on experience with authentic 1850s mining tools on the 13-acre site before jumping into a real coal car and descending half a mile underground. episode of the podcast, we talk with Jack DeVando and Nick Melito, tour guides at Torred Mine Museum, about sharing and preserving coal mining history. On Alakiski Chronicle, we feature interesting stories and people who shape our local history. The mission of the Allegheny Kiski Valley Historical Society and Heritage Museum is to interpret, preserve, and celebrate the cultural, industrial, and ethnic heritage of the Allegheny and Kiskimanitis River Valleys in southwestern Pennsylvania. Jamie Stoner, the curator of the Allegheny Kiski Valley Historical Society and Heritage Museum. One of the wonderful museums we here at the Allegheny Kiski Valley Historical Society get to work with on a regular basis is Torred Mine Museum, and I'm very excited to have two of their guides here with us today. Our guests are going to be Jack DeVando. He's been 10 years at Torred Mine as a tour guide and promoted to museum manager, and 20 years as a coal miner. And Nick Matello, who's been here for two seasons at Torred Mine and also 20 years as a coal miner. Torrid Mine is a museum located in Trenum. It gives visitors a chance to travel through coal mining history from the 1850s to present day. Our guests are tour guides who take people, you said 150, 160 feet underground and about 1,700 feet, feet in. in. Yeah. Visitors to the museum are also treated with a railroad caboose, an above ground strip mine, a 1785 log house, and more. The museum is open Memorial Day through Labor Day, Monday through Sunday, and for more information, you can visit them at torredmine.com. Well, you better put it in there. We're closed on Tuesdays. And you're closed on Tuesdays. Yeah. Don't forget that one. Because <laughs> yeah, we have people come in on Tuesday. Well, we there. Nobody there. So, well, we're closed. Can you guys give me a little bit of history about yourself? Let's start with the coal mine. You both spent 20 years in the coal mine, right? Yes. Would yes. you like to describe a little bit about what you've done? Well, I was a section mechanic, electrical, everything, hydraulic mechanic and everything, fix the equipment. Then I was section foreman for a few years. The old mine starts shutting down and had to do something else for a living. Explain what a fire boss is. Cause well, he goes in, well, I'll let Nick explain that. He does that every morning here. Because that's, that's one of the most interesting jobs for me in a coal mine. By the fire boss? Fire boss, yeah. Uh, the basic idea is we're going to go in there and examine the mine before anybody can go in, before miners can go in in the morning, before anybody can go in this tour mine. What we're actually doing, examining a mine for state and federal laws, looking for any hazard, noxious gases, any type of hazards that could be in a mine. Once we complete that, we sign a group of papers and books that state that we've done that today. And uh, actually, it's a lot safer job than it was back in the 1800s. We're going to get into the 1800s version of that a little <laughs> bit later. So... Nick, what was your job in the mine? I know Jack was literally the jack of all trades in the mine. Well, mine also. I started as a laborer, worked myself up in, did everything from a laborer to a miner operator to a shuttle car operator to a roof boulder to a mine examiner and to a foreman. 
So I actually worked my way through the coal mines also, doing a little bit of everything, just working your way up. And both of you worked in local mines? Yes. In fact, Jack and I worked in the same mine together. Which one? Fawn. Fawn? Fawn 99 up after Bethel Mines. Okay. So do you guys have any stories you'd like to share of what it was like being underground and being a coal miner? Uh, maybe my first story was would be my first day in the coal mine, and I started in a slope mine. Slope mine meaning you ride a cable car down to the coal seam. But as I was going down in the car, what I could actually turn around and see is that little light at the end, that end of that tunnel getting smaller. And as we got to the bottom of that slope and made the last turn on that slope, the t- light disappeared. My first thought was, what am I doing? <laughs> so actually, yeah, that's what am I doing? <laughs> It turned out to be a decent career. How about you, Jack? Well, just like Nick, it was actually the first day. Was a, that was the weirdest part. New job, different occupation, everything. Well, we didn't go down the slope. If I worked at Russellton, we went down an elevator. Well, you get down there, the elevator's going down, down. You get down the bottom there, what they call the bottom, then what are you going to do? You just, somebody tells you where to go. Then my dad was a coal miner. He told me, you hear a noise you don't recognize, move. Well, first day they had me back in the mine, somebody was... Uh, with dynamite blowing a sump hole. Well, I didn't know what was going on. I start running. They grabbed me. He said, where are you going? I said, I don't know. <laughs> that was about the best running was one there. But there was a lot of other ones there, too many. But that was my first experience underground. I didn't know whether I'd like it or not, but I stuck with it. So what's it like being in the coal mine? I know when you guys could take your groups on tours here, you shut the lights off. Can yeah. you describe what that feeling's like? They're just amazed. It's dark because you can't see nothing. And they said, well, what are you doing there? Well, we all have our cap lamps on, but we shut them out and let them get the complete picture. Because we were out there, normally coal mine does not have all the lights in it we have here. You just go with that cap lamp that we wear. That's what we work with. I know you guys start with coal mining in the 1850s, right? And at that point, the mine that we're sitting on top of right now would have been Avenue Mine, right? For yes. Allegheny yes. Steel? Yes. Mm-hmm. And also, what, Leechburg Mining Company? Yes, yes. So can you take me through, what was it like for a coal miner going into a coal mine in 1850? What, what would their day entail? Probably a 12 or 14 hour day to begin with. A long day. It's going to be a hard day. What they're actually going to be doing, they're probably going to be laying on their side, digging coal. Probably the miner had a son, 9 to 14 years old. That boy's probably going to work in the coal mines too. He's probably going to be what we call mule boys or breaker boys. But yeah, a uh, coal miner didn't have an easy life. He's going to be in there with a candle on his head, actually doing the work by hand, drilling holes by hand, using dynamite to get his coal out, shoveling into a small car, and the car is going to go outside for him to get weighed. Gets paid in something called script, only spent in one spot, be spent at a company store at the time. A uh, lot of immigrants in mines at that time. They were happy to be here. They had food, housing, and they had a job. So I know that there's two things I get a lot at our museum, because, of course, we have a coal mining exhibit at the Heritage Museum. And the two things I always get, what was the pickaxe actually used for? How would this miner in 1850 use the pickaxe? Well, a lot of they used that to check the roof, set post, and actually they could chip coal out with it, too. And sometimes low coal, they use that as a crutch. I know it wasn't the main form of actually getting the coal broken no. off the wall, because that would be... Well, they had to use that pickaxe, actually, to undermine the coal. They didn't have the equipment to it. That's what Nick was talking about, laying on their side, undermining the coal. So before they could drill the holes to shoot it down, that way they kept, by undermined it like that, 
So when they shot the coal down, it didn't blow all over the place. It more or less fell down to the bottom of the mine where they could shovel it up easier. And when you're saying undermine, you mean basically just cutting almost a shelf yeah. underneath yes. the bottom layer of the coal so it could yes. drop down. Mm-hmm. And I, I know this is the other question I get all the time. Canaries. Were they actually used in the mine? Yes, they were. They used them in canaries up to, what, mid-50s? They used them to check for the gas and the air quality in the mine. In the mid-50s and 1950s? Yes. Mm-hmm. And why were the canaries such a good choice for that? Well, they said some kind of their metabolism, they could sense the bad air or something because the miners carried them in, they had them in a cage, put them there. As long as that canary was chirping away, they know the air quality was good. If they see the canary laying down, they knew they had to move back. They'd take the canary back to good air. Actually, that canary could revive himself. Then they got the good air in, they took them back in. But... If the canary didn't survive, they had to go to the store and buy another canary. Sad thing to say. Canaries do require a little more oxygen. Like you said, with the metabolism, that's why they would use canaries. So you mentioned about the script and that. So that was sort of what the coal miner was going through. What was it like for his family living in the mining town? And what sort of things were would they experience on a day-to-day basis? The script, the money the miner made is was for script company took everything up until the point they took out for their rent right out of their script. They bought everything at a company store. So the wife, of course, did her shopping at a company store. The girls stayed with their mothers outside. The boys would go in mine sometimes. But everything was done at the company. Everything was done through the company. You didn't go outside the company store to buy anything. Did you really venture outside of the coal mining town in general? Well, actually, they had no way to go. They had to walk. They didn't have the cars or nothing. They were one of these coal mining towns where each nationality had their own little part of the town because they all spoke a different language. So it was rough for them to communicate. So they got together and was able to communicate because they put everybody in the same crew and spoke the same language that they knew what they was talking about. And I know you mentioned the company just basically took everything out of their pay. They were responsible for most of the equipment that they used, too, in the mine, Well, right. They? they had to go back in. They had to buy their own shovels, their picks, their axes, their dynamite and everything. They had to buy everything. They bought that all at the company store, put it on credit, come payday. Well, the company took their money first. And if you lost your canary, you had to buy your canary off of them. <laughs> right. Unfortunately. So I, know, I know we're talking a lot about paying. How much were they paid? Were they paid hourly by the amount of coal? Well, there were some guys there, it depends what they did, was paid by the hour. But mainly the ones that mined the coal, they paid tonnage, they called it. They didn't load any coal, they didn't get no pay. And how much were they getting paid per ton of coal? Well, it's hard to say. Some companies was different. That some well, I just usually say, say fifty cents a ton, which is high. So if they loaded ten ton of coal a day, that's five dollars they made. And that might have been in there ten, twelve, sixteen hours to load that. And that all depends where you worked, how they paid. So I know you're saying candlelight, and we're talking about, you know, sort of the initial coal miners that were settling here in the 1850s. What's the first major improvement they're going to see? What's the first technology or first Big change that they're going to Well, experience. they brought electricity. Yeah, yeah, and electricity brought, into the coal that mines. made the big change about the whole industry. When, when did electricity come into the coal mine? That was a good question. I was, I'm thinking, like, what, the late 1800s? Early 19, something like that. Yeah. And how's that going to change the change the day for the workers? Well, they start bringing all this equipment in. So they actually have to dig the coal. They brought the equipment in, was actually cut it out, load it, and everything. So then that changed their pay. They actually they went on a certain day rate. Some, some got paid so much a day then. 
What about for safety? What's the first big improvement? I mean, I know you're talking candlelight initially. What's the first big improvement for safety for the miners? Well, I would have to say around 1968 to 1970, when actually federal inspectors in the coal mines actually got some clout in the coal mines. Before that time, they could only make suggestions of what's going on in the coal mines. After that time, there was a disaster, I believe, in Farmington, West Virginia, that prompted the federal laws. In around 1970, laws started kicking in where federal inspectors actually had clout and could do something. And a lot of that was caused to do the explosions. Yes. With the gas buildup and everything, they start making have better air quality and more air in the mine and ventilating it. That eliminated the coal dust and the methane gas and everything accumulating. So you don't hear too much of an explosion in a mine anymore. It's amazing it's that recent, actually. Yeah. That that was going on. Now, I know you talked about the gas buildup. There's two main types that build up in a coal mine, correct? Uh, mainly the methane. Methane. Yeah. Methane's a big one. Methane's a big one. You mix that with the proper coal dust and oxygen. You're waiting for an explosion. That's why they have to have the air movement in the mine. Obviously, there's coal in the general area in the AK Valley. That obviously makes yes. it good for coal mining. But what else about the industry in the area really made this a great place to be mining? Western Pennsylvania, the worth ethnic of people, the immigrants that moved into the areas, I think it has a lot to do with why it was a great area for mining. They were proud to be miners, and generally when that happened, you were proud to work and you were proud to be a miner. Actually, too, they had the big steel industry in Pittsburgh. Well, Pittsburgh was a steel city at one time. It made most steel mills around, so they needed the coal. So it was just a great location overall? Yes, it was. Well, you got your three rivers there and everything. You got the Allegheny, the Mon, the Warm you High. You had the transportation, too. You had shipping right there. What would attract the immigrants to coal mining versus some of the other industries? Because you mentioned we had a lot of steel mills. Of course, we had places like Penn Salt locally. Well, a lot of these coal companies actually went overseas and recruited them. Paid to ship them, have them move over here, their families, everything. Well, they had to work for the company then because they had to pay that passage back and everything. The company, they paid for it, but they had to repay it. And that's what more, a lot of them come over. Wages sounded better than what they was making overseas. So by the time they paid for their wages over, their housing, all their equipment, they were buying a lot on credit at right. the company store, correct? Mm-hmm. That's Absolutely. They, they, they sold at the company store. store. And that's, that's where you get the saying, right? right. That's, 16 no, that, tons. That song, earnings more, yes. Yep. What is the biggest difference today versus early coal miners who settled here in the AK Valley? Well, I'd say safety and everybody's more educated and everything going into the mines now. And they, well, everybody works together to make sure it's uh, safe and everything. That would be safety. And like he said, working together, miners uh, work together very well. You have learn to work together well because you, you depend on one another. You depend on one another for safety also. So miners work well as teams, very well. Um, ease of production, a lot of the production is easier because you have equipment, but also you still have the factor that you're underground, and it's still Mother Nature. For spending 10 years here, twenty so 30 years combined in a coal mine, Yes, I'm sure you have a lot of stories and a lot of, a lot of knowledge about history in the area. Well, How there's cool. a lot. There's, I say there's too many stories. You don't know where to begin. I'll pick one. <laughs> it's too many. Like I say, I say we just enjoy it with the kids coming here and everything, and see the expression on their faces and everything. Whenever they go underground, see some of that equipment. 
And that's why I get the big place yeah, out well, with the kids. Is that what inspired you to go from being a coal miner to sort of preserving the coal mining history and sharing the coal mining history? Well, that I have couldn't say. That I couldn't say. That I didn't know. Whenever I was offered a job here for tour guide, I didn't know whether I could do it or not. Just get up there and stand, talk a bunch of people. Okay, but then you got used to it. Then they said, people come in and ask you questions, you try to answer them. And especially you get a person who comes in for a tour, he's actually worked in a coal mine too. So you get him to help you out and learn stuff from him. Yeah, I, I believe just the experience and you, you see you see a lot of grandparents bring their kids in. And some of the grandparents have worked in the coal mines and I had a couple here also, a grandkid. And was an old-time retired coal miner and actually when I did the tour on the ground I let the older gentleman do a lot of the tour for the grandchild because he was interested and I thought coming out of his mouth was a lot better than coming out of my mouth. Grandpap got to explain what he did in the coal mines and I thought that was just seeing an experience like that and like Jack was saying looks a kid's face when you see the equipment running and also when you talk about it and the looks on their faces is just unbelievable some of them some are utterly astounded and some just have fear so i mean when you you came here with the experience of sort of the modern coal mine what was the thing that surprised you most sort of diving into the history of mining in the area and what it was like for the early, early coal miners well i never seen a lot of that stuff here though i did start here I knew I heard about the hand-loading days from my dad and my grandfather and my father-in-law. They was all gold miners, too. But you didn't have it until you down and seen it yourself to see what it was like. Like I said, I, couldn't, I don't think I could have laid down here and shovel coal like that. I believe it's, it's the same thing, just how hard they actually did work. And when you have people come in here, they get a whole new respect for what a coal miner actually does. And just because of what they see and how they worked. And just what they went through, you know, through the ages of mining. And, uh, yeah, just just the history. And I have two grandfathers were coal miners. Of course, I got a few stories from them, but not too many because they were already older. But you can never imagine what a miner went through at that time. A lot of people come here, they said they didn't realize that the mining industry was like that. And they were so amazed. And they were just glad that they came here. And they just amazed you people worked that way. (laughs) How long would a miner work in the mine for? How many years? Average age was about 45 to 55 years old at that time. So they didn't get a lot of years in the mines. And a lot of the old, as you got older and you couldn't work underground, some of them went above ground and worked as as breaker boys uh, cleaning slate from the coal. You know, that was some of the elderly, older ones. I guess if you got past 55 maybe or couldn't work underground any longer, they would go into a, a surface job. Well, my dad had 41 years in, my father-in-law had 50 in. Now, my grandfather, I don't know how many years, because he came from overseas, whether he worked in the coal mines overseas, I have no idea. So. Yeah, because they were mining coal in Europe as yes. well, correct? Oh, yes, he came from Italy, they mined coal over there. And was that the same process that they were using here in America? Well, a lot of it was amazing, they came over here. There was a lot of different mining here than it was overseas. We just had a guy in here from Austria yesterday. He worked in the mines over there. And then he came over here and he said, first day he went in the mines here, it was completely different. Really? Yep. Mm-hmm. Do, you, do you know how it was different? Just the way the mines was taken care of. Huh. Clean and everything. He says, it was all different atmosphere and everything underground. And he's talking years ago whenever he came over. So he was t- totally amazed. 
even what looks like over here. He, you know, that equipment we got underground is old, but he's amazed that we had the equipment like that. He said they didn't have nothing. They just had the pick and shovel. Wow. Mm-hmm. And I know locally we have one of the worst coal mining disasters that has ever happened in Harwick. Yes. Yes. Are you familiar at all with? Well, I had uncles that worked in that mine. Really? But no, they wasn't in that explosion. No. They weren't in that I, explosion? I don't know too much about it, just what I read in the papers there. Pretty much what I know about it, just what I've read. Mm-hmm. I knew a lot of people worked there, but just what I read in the paper there. Are there any working coal mines still in the AK Valley? Uh, the closest ones is up at Catanning. That's a Rosebud Mining Rosebud Mining. And he's got a few, well, he's only got a couple running. I think he's got about 15 mines. He's only got two or three running. They're shut down right now. Yeah, they're all shut down. Then maybe you go south of Pittsburgh, that's where you got your big mining. That. And when was the last time the mine that we're sitting on top of right now active? Uh, 1968. 1968? Yes. And there's still plenty of coal to be mined here, correct? Yes, But yes. Ira Woods wanted to turn it into a museum? Yes. He was the last owner-operator. Him and his wife decided they want to preserve it for history. So they shut it down in 1968, 1970, started doing tours. They've been doing tours that many years. As far as I know, I've never had nobody injured on a tour. And I haven't, since I've been here, nobody's been injured. They've got a good safety record like that. You know why it was so important for Ira to have this museum? Because I know he was also greatly involved in our museum, right. actually, in well, helping form it and right. well, developing programs. Most of the stuff in here was his, his wife's collection. They purchased it. And there's some people doing there. They're cleaning out their parents' or grandparents' house. Instead of throwing stuff in the garbage dump, they'll bring it in here and donate it. And you'll see we do have the signs up here donated by certain so-and-so. That's exactly Everybody's how we get our collection as well. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, everybody, a lot of people come in and want to buy stuff. I said, it's not for sale. They want to to put a price on it. <laughs> we get that question a lot, too. Right. Mm-hmm. I know right now we're above ground, and it's a lovely hot summer day. Yes. Um, but what is the temperature in the coal mine right now? Uh, it's anywhere around 52 to 58 degrees. Right now. Right now. You walk down that walkway out there, you can feel the difference in the temperature. Does it get colder in the winter, or does it stay well, it gets, about well, the, the same? Main, well, the main road going in, it gets the haulage, what we call it. It gets cold, yes. It will get cold there, but if you're in an active mine, temperatures like to stay pretty near that degree. But some of the modern mines now, they have a lot more air flowing through them. So when it's cold outside, it's cold in there. When it's warm outside, it's warm in there. Right. And is it is it damp in there, or you got the humidity in? You do have water in coal mines. Yes, humidity. You can act, you know it'll sweat in there and in and out. If you go in and out. You get condensation on things from yeah, going in and out. When you wear glasses, you come out, you can't see. <laughs> so, I mean, for the miners, I think that adds another part of that day we were talking about in the 1850s, the fact that they were in there for 12 to 14 hours in fairly cold temperatures that also... Well, if they was in there working, shoveling cold, it wasn't cold. They were sweating. <laughs> they were sweating. They were sweating. Then they were in there, you get working on equipment, you get sweating. Even it's cold like that, yes. Mm-hmm. But any more the older you get, you can't take the cold. You can't take the heat. <laughs> and how how much coal were they able to get out on a good day by hand shoveling? Well, well a good day. guy worked, he could probably load 15 tons, something like that. That was a good day. That was a good day. And that was working 12, 16 hours. And there would be a day he loaded absolutely nothing. Right. If he had rock to clean up or something like they that. He didn't get paid for rock. He didn't get paid for rock, so he made absolutely nothing that day. To say who loaded more coal, the big strong guy or the little weak guy, don't know. It all depends how your day went. 
because the whole time they was in there, if they had to undermine it, drill it, set post, they didn't get paid for none of that time. They just got paid for that coal that they loaded. So the more coal they loaded, the more they got. Oh, and actually it brings back up a question. You'd mentioned that being a fire boss now, today, is a lot better than in the 1850s because the story of the fire boss in the 1850s is one of my favorite. Would you would you guys explain to me what a fire boss was in the 1850s? Well, he did actually the same job we do today, but only he didn't have the equipment to test for the gas. Well, he test for methane, he'd actually wet his clothes down. He'd go in there with a torch. He'd go in and examine the workplace. He'd put the torch in there. If it was a little bit of methane, it would burn off. But if he had a big pocket, boom, it blew out over top of him. They always say they could put the big troublemaker on that job. Not only could want that because that was a dangerous job back then. Now they got all the safety equipment to do all that, to relieve all that dangers. Actually, too, they didn't have the air quality, airflow in the mines the day after day. Didn't have it rock dusted or nothing. I was going to yeah. say, with that, uh, with that job description of actually carrying a torch to burn off methane, what was the life expectancy of a fire boss? <laughs> that first day it happened to me, that had been the end of it. <laughs> That's hard to say. Hard to say, but probably short. That's the one job I cannot, I can't even fathom somebody. Well, back in the old days, it was rough, but nowadays, yeah. it's not bad, right? You're not carrying a torch in there trying no. to cause an explosion? That same way they worked with the candle. The first light in the mines they worked by was with a candle. Then they went to a carbide lamp, an oil lamp, still open flame. If they didn't have the mine properly vented with the coal dust, they actually blew the mines up herself too that way. Absolutely. Yeah, because the progression went from a candle, which we're talking open flame. Yes. And then the oil lamps, right. still in open flame, just more of it. Right. And then to the carbide lamp. Would you explain a little bit about a carbide lantern? Well, carbide, well, it's a man-made product. They have the special lamps for it in containers. They put the lumps of carbide in their container, and actually it, took, it takes water to activate it to get the gas. So a lot of them would actually spit on it until they was putting the lamp back together and start the gas. So then they'd have a container on there with water, and they'd start dripping the water in. Then once they got the gas, they'd light it. And that was still an open flame, so that's still, still an, an issue. open flame, right. And then we get, what, the minor safety lamp? The minor safety lamp is another way to check for methane. And that was developed when, roughly? Well, that was in the... Um, From the 50s, I think. 50s. That was over in England they developed that. Yeah. First one. Maybe earlier than that they used them over in England. But what year, I have no idea. Yeah, because that's the first explosion-proof lamp that yes. we're getting, correct? Yes, yes. I, I know you also have... You have another friend in the coal mine that gets left out a lot. I know the canaries are bright and yellow, but... What was the role that rats had in the mine? Yeah, they was a miner's friend. Rats rats can hear better than we can. Right, they, they can see if they hear the roof working somewhere. The miners seen the rats moving from a place. They followed the rats out. Rule of thumb. Say scamper, you scamper. Right. And actually, they fed them part of their lunch every day. So that's about it. <laughs> I, I, I think it's pretty impressive that, you know, with mm. all the little that they're being paid, that they're going to save some of their lunch for the rats to make yeah. sure that they're, yeah, they're hanging they around. They saved their lives a lot of time. Mm. I, but I feel like they're here. the unsung hero that gets forgotten about. <laughs> so with the um, candlelight in the mine, that could not have provided a lot of a no, lot of light. No. no, it wouldn't. The normal light you put on your head today is probably twice as much light as that would supply. It'd be relatively dark with just a candlelight on. One more question: What would the miners take for lunch? What, what were they having in the mine? Whatever your wife your wife would pack, or you packed. <laughs> that was it. And, of course, he ate, ate the cakes, cookies, or pies first. Right. There was a reason for that, too. If everything happened to them, nobody was getting their dessert. They could have a sandwich, but they wasn't getting their dessert. 
than their water. They carried their water with them. But once they got done with lunch, they did not throw their water away. They wait till they got outside because you get trapped in there. You could actually do without food, but you need the water. Now today, you tell the kids there how you drank out of a bucket, they look at you. Because they imagine they probably carried boiled water. Bottled water. Yeah. yeah. But they, they just carried a pail of water, correct? Yeah. Well, back in the older days, too, these miners came from overseas. They didn't drink water. They all made their homemade wine. That's what they took in. And they thought the guys that worked with my grandfather, they said, oh, yeah, there's always into the wine before lunch. <laughs> wine and moonshine. Right. Well, that was, that was a real issue that these coal miners faced. I mean, if they ran out of candles, if they ran out of light, they were in a lot of trouble. Well, they always carried extra with them. They made sure. They knew it was going to be a long time. They had spare candles, spare oil, and spare carbide. Spare everything carbide, with them. everything to go with them. Yeah. Let's say with the barrier lights that we wear, there's, there's nothing to say they're not going to go out on you. But we don't carry spares. We don't heads. carry spares. <laughs> Our guests today have been Jack DeVando and Nick Melito, Torred Mine Museum guides. They have shared with us some of the wonderful history being preserved here, as well as their experience as coal miners. Remember to visit us for more on coal mining history from exhibits to research at 224 East 7th Avenue, Trenum, PA. We are open Wednesdays and Saturdays, 11 till 3 p.m. You can also give us a call at 724-224-7666. Visit us online at akvhs.org and follow us on Facebook and Twitter to learn more about our exhibits and events. Thanks for joining us on the Alakiski Chronicle, the podcast of the Allegheny Kiski Valley Historical Society and Heritage Museum. I'm Jamie Stoner. See you next time. You are listening to a production of the Social Voice Podcast Network, a nonprofit project of the Veteran Voices of Pittsburgh Oral History Initiative.